welcome to Trek Companion, episode 23. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Uh, today we're going to be discussing DS9's fourth season episodes, Crossfire, Return to Grace, Sons of Moog, and Bar Association. Before we get started, Steve Rogers sent in a question for you guys for the episodes we discussed on our last podcast, and I'm sorry I missed it, but I'm going to throw it out there right now. So think of this as like the end of the previous podcast. <laughs> uh, he said, um, because of the filming of Paradise Lost, that's the episode we discussed last time, Robert Foxworth, we remember who he played, yeah, the Admiral, uh, could not reprise his role of General Haig for the Babylon 5 Season 3 episode, Severed Dreams. Who was the actor that replaced him? So it's kind of a six degrees of six degrees. <laughs> who replaced him in Babylon 5? Yeah, because he was... Because he was working on Paradise Lost. Uh, got, got me. I don't know. I, yeah, I'm not a bit. I never got too into Babylon Five. So, <laughs> sorry, guys. Bruce Babylon McGill. Five listeners. Okay. Bruce McGill, who who was in uh, Voyager episode Relativity. <coughs> you would know his face. You would know his face. Cool. Okay. So we're moving on now. Uh, let's do it. Crossfire, Season 4, Episode 12, Production Number 485, Original Air Date, January 29th, 1996, Written by Renee Echevarria, Directed by Les Landau, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Duncan Rager as Shakar, Bruce Wright as Sarish, and Charles Tintindo as Jimenez. First Minister Shakar arrives at Deep Space Nine to negotiate for Bajor's early admittance into the Federation. Shakar creates quite a stir around the station, especially with Kira, a friend since she worked for him in the Resistance. Soon after his arrival, Odo learns that the True Way, a Cardassian extremist group, is planning to assassinate Shakar. Security is beefed up throughout the station, and Odo personally shadows him. But when Shakar takes a luxurious stroll with Kira, Odo's hidden affection for her leaves him with an uncomfortable feeling he doesn't know how to deal with. Odo! Are you okay? You were right. Oh. I take it Major Kira and Shakar are... You really are in love. Now here's an example of an episode that, I mean, I remember liking, as we've said pretty much from now on, I'm going to like all the DS9 episodes. But here's an episode I remember liking, and as the years go by, I think I like it more. Yeah, it's a good episode. Uh, yeah, do you remember the episode, uh, I want to say Heart of Stone, that I kind of liked and you guys didn't so much, where Kira mm-hmm. gets her, yeah, she's in the cave, and she's stuck in the stone, it's like she's going to die, it turns out she was a changeling the whole time, and they were trying mm-hmm. to find things out about Odo. You know, all the things that that episode attempts to do, it's like, this episode does, and yes, it is a much better episode, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's a good episode, I, I like this episode a lot, and I like it more as the years go by. Uh, what do you guys think here? Um, I'd agree. It's got a lot of depth to it, even mm-hmm. with um, Odo and where he is and where he's going. I was thinking about it, you know, as as we know, and hopefully most of the people know already that, you know, Odo and Kira eventually do end up together. But um, watching these over again after so many years, it's you realize that Odo was never really ready to be in a relationship. He almost had to... Mm-hmm. To see it, to know what to do, and this was, and I mean, well, this metaphorically, kind of his, he's yeah. he's more like fourteen years old. You know, he's like right. a teenager mm-hmm. almost. Uh, you know, 
Right. And, you know, he doesn't know how to deal with his, his feelings or even mm-hmm. be in a relationship. He, he has a hard time being in, in normal relationships, much less a, um, yeah. a romantic one. And, um, you know, it's almost kind of like um, the agreement that Kira and Odo made, I guess, to Souls is she was going to show him how to be with her. And that's, you know, this, this, the journey. It's painful for him. But in the end, it, it really pays off. You know, you you go about your life differently when, well, like the the opening scenes. You know, I love that opening scene where Odo is taking his time to arrange the room just right for his morning meeting with Kira. You know, he's he's, he's all about order and, and uh, schedule and repetition. Um, and in a way, you get the sense that he could just go on doing exactly this for a millennia. You know? Yeah, you he doesn't even like have that. to be in a relationship with her. He just wants to do his order, his um, routine, but, as he puts it. But he's not going to age, and we are, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so y- you you go about your life differently whenever whenever you are so ha- content, you know, with the status quo. Um, and then all it takes is this one little disruption, uh, Shakar coming to the station, Um reminds him that actually there is something more that he wanted and he doesn't know what to do about it and he's again because he's he's wasted this time um when he could have been pursuing it that she was in between things and relationships and and now he's lost her again you know i i uh read the comparison this episode you know almost every episode you read read the writers talking about it and they're always like oh, we're gonna do this you know we're gonna do this old movie as an episode or this old movie as an episode mm-hmm. this episode <laughs> it was the bodyguard makes sense yeah that Whitney Houston Kevin Costner classic <laughs> classic <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well I definitely could relate to Odo, I was uh, an awkward, dorky kid, you know, and not a lot of luck with the ladies and that kind of thing. And I, I felt that kind of awkwardness, and it's almost painful to see him having to uh, watch them interact and know what they're what's going on and their relationship blossoming and th- and so forth. Um, personally, I enjoyed the scenes between Odo and Cork. They're they're different than what we've seen up to this point. You actually see. Quark actually really sympathizing with him and trying to help him. Yeah, there's a scene way. in the middle of the night when, or after um, Odo trashes his quarters and Quark comes to Odo's quarters. It's unquestionable that you know these people love each other and they are friends. <laughs> they just show it in their own way. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course, uh, Quark denies it, but they both know that that's mm-hmm. what they're talking about. What's yeah. funny to me too is really Quark. He does offer some good advice. He, you know, he offers some advice that, you know, either tell her how you feel or move on with your life, you know. Um, but that's like the best advice that he could come up with. And um, I think it wasn't so much the point of what he was saying as it was that he was saying something. You know? Yeah, I think, I think Odo needed somebody there. He needed some sort. I mean, it's, a, it's an unusual support system that he got from Cork, but that's, mm-hmm. he, he needed a friend really in that, in that situation. And, um, Cork has been his adversary for so long. It just kind of makes sense that, you know, you well, know. also then there's this earlier scene where 
Cork just sees uh, Cork knows Odo, and he sees the look on Odo's face, right. and he knows, and they're in another, you know, at the party or whatever, and and he knows that Odo has feelings for Kira. And he's like, uh, he's the first one to figure it out among everybody on the cast. Yeah, well, unless you count uh, female changeling. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. But she had an advantage. She was able to, you know, you know, <laughs> link with him. <laughs> and find his secrets this episode doesn't have a B story does it no um, that's uh, unusual I guess kind of the B story is just all the security that's going on but it's not really that'd be more like a D story yeah, yeah. I did like the scenes with Odo and um, Worf when they're you know they're talking about yeah. order whatever you where people are coming to visit you in your quarters and he says whatever you do don't let them feel welcome (laughs) (laughs) and it it, kind of sets up um, some things we're going to see in later episodes with Worf and how he's having to deal with living Mm -hmm. station life but it's just uh, you know time and time again in this episode we just put Odo into these incredibly uncomfortable positions that turbo lift thing come on (laughs) it's just awful You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Um, I don't know. What do you think of the Shakir um, Kira relationship? I know it really doesn't go as deep as say the um, Shakar and Kira. Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of people were disappointed that he got a little too soft because he was he was trying to be kind of a badass the first time we saw him, mm-hmm. but then in this episode he's I don't know he's getting a little too close to Burial for my taste, you know? Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Um, on the other hand, that makes it easier for them to... Uh, for her to fall in love with him, I suppose. Well, actually, I was going to say for them to eventually separate. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess they could work that way, too. But, if, you know, um, <clears throat> Odo has the line, lines like, you know, I'm happy for you, and when he says it, it's just so obvious to us you know I, <laughs> for the kind of reasons you were talking about Steve you know the relating um, although of course when I was a kid I was the Mac Daddy and oh, thousands, yes. <laughs> thousands of girlfriends all around mm-hmm. the world <laughs> um, but well if I'm mistaken Brian you probably had more girlfriends than, than me at least I don't know about Steve and hey my wife listened to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> you're the ladies man that's right of the group. Um, <laughs> no. Um, so I, I think this episode holds up. So what do we got for what it's about? Um, Adam? Um, for me, it's about relationships. I mean, um, I, and I, I'm sorry, I don't have a better way to kind of explain mm-hmm. that explain myself better but i mean the 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 relationships that are that that we have that that change and evolve from from one to another you can see the relationship between cork and odo changes to me it changes more their relationship kind of changes more dramatically in this episode than say him and kira um relationship does i mean even by the end of the episode well i mean i guess her their relationship does change because again i I know i ask this kind of thing a lot it's hard to remember the first time you saw it but it's at any point when you guys were watching this you know at the end here when when odo decides when he says you know right at the very very end you know and and kira sees that he's removed his belt again and asks him about it he says just trying to keep to the essentials major you know and and telling that's telling us the audience that 
you know, Cork offered him this advice, tell her or move on. And Odo has decided to move on. My question to you guys, did you think that he had really moved on? Did you think that there would not be any more Odo Kira? Um, no, I don't, I, you know, I don't quite agree with that assessment that he completely decided to move on. I think he kind of just decided to, he took to the essentials. He wanted to stick to himself. I mean, and maybe in an unconscious level, like I said, this is my opinion, that he knew he wasn't ready. If he was ready, he would have said something, but down, he knew he wasn't ready to make that, that jump with Kira. And so it was time just to so stick to himself. So it had to do with the fact that she was just getting with Shakar? Yes, I think that was the catalyst for it. But I mean, I you know, you you know somebody who is um, is kind of standoffish as Odo, and you know, mm-hmm. and we see this finally. This you know, we've seen it a couple times, but this passion that comes out of him for his feelings for Kira, you know, it's not going to completely go away. But at the same time, he just knew he wasn't ready for it. So and that's why he went his own way in this. For me, that's he. That's why he went his own way in this. I think he took um, he took the road in between Quark's advice. It was just. He never really completely walked away. Steve, what do you got for what it's about? What do you think? What do you make of the ending? The um, yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think it's about partly about making making choices, taking opportunities when it comes to relationships, and and also a little bit. I get that vibe of kind of you know people often put themselves in their own little hell. You know, I mean, he <laughs> he opted yeah. to he opted to you know stand watch when he knows what's going on in there uh, between them and uh, all night long and that kind of thing. And That's I, a good point. I think it's just, I think it's, it's just people do that. You know, people put themselves through a lot to, for, for love. And it's, doesn't make a lot of sense a lot of times, you know, <laughs> is he standing there hoping you'll hear an argument or something? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But we, we all do that kind of thing or we have done yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. You got to put yourself through that pain. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's just to get over it faster. Well, there's that pain of, you know, when you love somebody, it helps ease the pain when you're near them. At the same time, it's making it more painful when you see them with someone else. You know, what do you do? Yeah. So, I think this one. I think this one holds up. Uh, what do you think it was about? Uh, I, 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 I'm kind of with Steve there, which is kind of getting to what I was talking about earlier. You know, um, this, this this violation of his of his sense of order and he, he doesn't want to stir it stir it up when he is happy and content and then you know he he regrets these these missed opportunities now he he didn't see them as that when they were there but now it's gone they're gone forever and you know it's almost um it's almost an understanding of the ever moving forward uh, aspects of time and life you know um, and these are basics to the human condition that Odo is figuring out just now that you know we take for granted the kind of things that we would learn when we were 10, 12, 14, 18 um, And that's what I'm thinking. Well, all right. All right. And we are going to go over. God dang it! I'm gonna. I'm not. It's gonna. We're gonna stay on schedule. We're gonna do. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're we moving on to six. The trivia. That's right. Six degrees crossfire. 
Adam? Yes. Bruce Wright plays Sarish Rez, Shakar's adjutant. He also played Farat, a Vulcan psychiatrist on Enterprise, in the episode The Expanse. After a devastating attack on Earth and a visit by the temporal Cold War's future guy, <laughs> the Vulcans wish to ascertain Archer's mental state. That's why they send in Farat. Uh, the Expanse was the finale for which season of Enterprise? The Expanse? The season finale? It would been. That be season three. No, that would be and season. No, go ahead, take it, <laughs> Steve. I don't know. Is that something you should? That would be so easy, but no, no, no. Two. Yep, two. <laughs> yeah, right. It's fifty-fifty. It was either two or three. Well, because <laughs> it's setting up the entire season three storyline, the big terrorist attack at the, in that episode. Okay, yeah, well, I couldn't remember. Like I said, I've only watched them once. I couldn't remember if that was the, you know, when Florida got... Yep, that's the one. Got smacked around. If that was the Mm -hmm. end of the episode or that was the beginning of the episode. I couldn't remember. Steve, Duncan Rigar makes his second appearance as Shakar, Kira's old leader and now first minister of Bajor. How many times did Duncan play Shakar? Three, four, or five? Hmm. It's going to be a shot in the dark here, I guess, because um, I'm not recalling each of them by any means. Uh, four? That is incorrect, and I'm going to go ahead and let Adam take a shot because <laughs> he also you also had a very limited uh, <laughs> response. Adam? I'm going to say five. No! <laughs> it's only it's three. Three. Only so three. Only, wow. Okay. He's only got one more episode, huh? Uh-huh. Uh, so, so yeah, that, re- that, re- that relationship really went far, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> season three, he did Chikar. Season four, this episode, Crossfire. Season five, he's in uh, The Begotten. That's when they break up. <laughs> the damn Chikar. Such a heartbreaker. Return to Grace, season four, episode 13, production number 486, original air date February 5th, 1996. Teleplay by Hans Beimler, story by Tom Binko, directed by Jonathan West, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Mark Alamo as Ducat, Sia Batten as Yal, Casey Biggs as Damar, and John K. Scholl as Katemang. Kira prepares to travel to Cardass to a Cardassian outpost to share Bajoran intelligence about the Klingon Empire. She is surprised to discover that her old nemesis, Takat, has been demoted from his powerful position for bringing Torzial, his daughter, by a Bajoran mistress back to Cardassia, and he is now commander of a freighter that will take her to the outpost. Upon arrival at the conference site, Kira and Dukat find that the Klingons have attacked the outpost and all the Cardassian and Bajoran diplomats are dead. Now Kira must deal with an uncomfortable alliance with Dukat to find the Klingon killers. It's not the Cardassians I know. What Cardassians? Don't you see, Major? They're paralyzed. They're beaten and defeated. I am the only Cardassian left. And if no one else... Will stand against the Klingons. I will. <clears throat> I was reading uh, um, Terry Erdman's uh, Deep Space Nine companion, and there was a quote in here from Ira Brayer about Ducat that I just wanted to read here. Uh, 
Ducat is not a nice man. He is not a sensitive man. He likes to act like a sensitive man, but he's a man of appetites to whom public image is very important, much more important than the truth. He wants to be liked by Kira as much as he likes Kira. I find him reprehensible myself. <laughs> well, he doesn't, yeah. like, doesn't like him very much. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of gets more and more <clears throat> annoying. You know, I mean, uh, this episode, just it just kind of starts driving you bananas. You know, him is, is ingratiating nonsense spouting out. You know, it's just, uh, yeah. Well, I think we've discussed before that he, he's a man that doesn't really know himself. And, you know, he reaches out in all these weird, strange, uncomfortable ways to, to make people like him. And it's, it's yeah, I agree with Stephen. It's, it, it, got, it's, it's unco- it gets, gets to the point where it's uncomfortable in this episode. But I think that was the mm-hmm. point the writers were, were actually, you know, that's, I think that's what they wanted you to feel about his character. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was a, it did seem to be though a great deal of exposition and blabbering towards the end of this episode, especially it got a kind of tiresome. It was one of those you know you start nodding off. That, that was, that's my opinion. Well, it's got an odd structure mm-hmm. um, because they take that Klingon ship, and the episode still has like ten minutes left. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean that kind of feels like that's it, but it's not it. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Because, you know, then, of course, we get the extra bits about he contacts um, Cardassia and they respond not enthusiastically about his actions, telling him to back down. He decides to go rogue or whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so and all that comes after they take the take the ship. But when they take the ship, that's kind of the, it feels like it should be the climax. So it immediately makes any discussion after that seem kind of drawn out. Well, the, there's a. I've kind of found like in, early in the episode, it found, I find that kind of Kira, and she doesn't do that just with Dakot. She does it in in other situations, um, or she's uncomfortable with the situation. She just kind of tries to make nice. I mean, she you know she doesn't want to have dinner with Dukat early in that, and when they're first on that freighter, but she's like, okay, I'm here. I'll be nice to you. I kind of feel sorry for you because you're in this position, and um. She feels partly responsible. She yeah. doesn't really care that she feels partly responsible. <laughs> but yeah, it's she a weird duality with her. I mean, so partly, yeah. she's guilty, but at the same time, she can't stand this guy. But it's I don't. And it's kind of a it's a weird duality with her. And, and, and once once ZL's in the picture, they start to feel like some kind of divorced couple that hate each other, and they got to play nice in front of the kid. You know. You mean, in, in, oh, just you're talking just this episode, or you mean? No, this. Uh, well, the end of this episode, but you kind of see it later a little bit too. Now that Zial's in the picture, you know, and she's kind of taking care of her on the station. But you so know, did I, you guys think it was it was um, a big deal that she brought her back to the station. I think Kira feels responsible for it because you know, in a way, she saved her life. So she feels. I think she truly does care about um, Zial and. You know, she saved her life. She likes her, and, and, and I think when she said that, Zial reminds her of herself at that age. I think she's you know being true, and that's why she has a kinship to her. I don't think it has anything to do with Dakot. He's just part of just part of the baggage that comes with it. It is amazing that Dukat can't can't really take the hint. She has <laughs> the line. Uh, why is it when he's he makes a joke or smiles happily about something, and she says. Why is it when you smile, I want to leave the room? (laughs) (laughs) And he just keeps going. Yeah. (laughs) He's definitely a man of great ego. 
Mm-hmm. He makes a good speech, though. That speech he gives Kira, very impassioned to get her to join him, which, I mean, nobody thought she was going to join him. But it was interesting to me that even though there was no chance of that happening, not just narratively, she wouldn't have done it, but it's a Star Trek show. She's the lead. She's not leaving the show. Yeah. Um, um, even though there was zero chance of that happening, that speech goes on for like a minute or two. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave it all that time uh, when all it can do is is change our view of Ducat in some way or change Ducat's character. You think that's what they were trying to do? I mean, it was yeah, very well, they, impassionate. Did you, did you believe him? His yeah, reasons? And, here, and here's why. So he's, he's at this cool crossroads because he actually could. This is the, one of the few times, I think, in the entire seven years of this show where he's at this Ducat, the character Ducat is at this crossroads. He could take all of this and become a better person. But because of those very traits that Ira Bear mentioned that I quoted earlier, it's, it's not going to happen. All that's going to happen is, you know, six months, a year from now, when he has the, the first chance he has to get all his titles and all the bullcrap back, that doesn't really mean anything. It shouldn't mean anything, but it does mean to him because appearances are all he really cares about. He's just going to take those things, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it takes all the power out of all of his actions, you know? But that speech is awfully impassioned, you know? And that's what makes the character so interesting. It's because he's, he's very similar to Kai Wynn. Mm-hmm. He doesn't realize that he doesn't actually care about this stuff. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't realize that you put a gun to his head and and he's just shallow and not interested in actually making things better for anyone. He just wants people to think he's great, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Yeah. And that's why Would I you like- say it's tragic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, because uh, it, his actions seem inevitable, huh? Okay. Hmm. It'd be tragic if he was a better person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Steve, uh, what do you got for what this one's about? Hmm. Um, I had a tough time with this one, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't I didn't really feel feel a real direction in terms of that in this episode for myself. One of the writers, I do not remember who, but talking about this episode, I think it was kind of the pitch for the episode was, you know, what if the Nazis had to work with the Jews to go kill somebody or something? I don't know. Hmm. You know, on a mission together. Um, I'm not sure I really felt, I can see where they're coming from, but I'm not sure I really felt that way about it. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I don't think that the the nuts. It's a little that that's a little bit more of an extreme. <laughs> Do you got anything for what it's about, Caesar? Um, I was looking at the title "Return to Grace," and we've been sitting here talking, and I don't know how that. I, I mean, I understand where they're coming with the title, but it doesn't really seem to apply. I don't really feel that. I think you're right that Ducat had a, you know. 
we're not going to see the outcomes of his choices, obviously from this episode, but down the road we do. And it's, you know, it's the fur it's pretty much the furthest thing from returning to grace. But right it's, now there's supposed to be, you know, the promise, the, the promise of it. This is, this is the, you're saying this is the setup. Yeah. This is, these are, this is the crossroads. Now he's going to go the, the, the path he's already traveled before the easy way out, but well, I guess it comes down to whether if you believe that he can return to grace or not. And, and you know, if you haven't seen these episodes, and it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, Maybe it was say, supposed as, to be called Return to Gracie, and there was a whale on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a Klingon ship. <laughs> Better be whales. Yeah. Um, for what it's about, I mean, I don't know. I was just I'm thinking about the title, and, you know, sometimes the titles are supposed to kind of give you a hint into what the episode's about. Um, I, you know, maybe with what you just said, I mean, it's more of the promise of grace, not necessarily returning to grace that, that we have from this episode. Um, well, it's interesting to me that Kira, in a way, she's always giving him a chance, you know, mm -hmm. even just having dinner with him in a way is giving him a chance, even though we know, I mean, she has a line to, uh, Zial when Zial says something like, you know, it bothers him, meaning to cut the bad things he did during the occupation, you know, he feels bad about it. And, and Kira says, what your father wants from me is forgiveness. And that's the one thing I can never give him, you know? But yet, so but yet she, she feels... Can, yet she, she can feels, never give him that forgiveness, but she's still giving him a chance. Hey, she's on the dang ship, you know? she's She goes with them, with yeah. him, to try and stop these uh, Klingons. Well, also, I think, you know, what I was talking about earlier, I mean, you know, she has, there's a duality with her. I, she feels guilty about the position that she's put him in, um, which I understand at this. There's a, like I said, I just feel like there's that duality with her and <coughs> when it comes to Ducat and Ziao. There's that guilt that, you know, she is partly responsible for this that she carries, which she really doesn't need to. So I think that's what brings her to try and be nice to him. Like, <laughs> I didn't even think about it before, but I mean, Stephen made the the absolute correct analogy. They're like a divorced married couple and she's the, <laughs> she's the kid. It's, it's a, it's a kind of an awkward, you know, I always kind of feel awkward when I see those two together and they're talking or they have some sort of interrelationship. You know, it's just a slightly spoiling, spoiling the end of the series, but the, Kira and Ducat are so intertwined. He even says it, I forgot, he says that exact thing at the end of this episode. Our, sure. to, to Kira, he says, our lives have become intertwined. You know, gives me reason to live. Mm. <laughs> um, isn't it a little odd that uh, his storyline ends without her? Like, she's not a part of it at all. What are you, are you referring to? I mean, like the end of the entire series. Yeah, well, I, 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 yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, like it never, never bothered me before. The, and I'm not even saying this bothered me right this minute, but just the first time for the first time, it popped in my head. You know, Ducat's character is constantly advancing because of her, not because of Cisco. Yeah, right? and then, and then the, yeah, early on you feel oh, it's Cisco's adversary, but yeah, certainly as the series progresses, you have so much of this stuff with Kira. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. One one thing I got to mention that made me laugh, <laughs> just to the way we watch Star Trek, you know? Uh, so the, the first time we see the Klingon ship and they come up on the view screen, um, and we see the captain of the Klingon ship, we see the bridge, we see several Klingons, and I, it immediately felt odd to me. I'm like, oh my God, 
you know, it's like, I can't believe that we're seeing all these Klingons on the view screen because that's the exact kind of thing. Normally, there's just a ship. They communicate, you know, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't want to pay very many actors. <laughs> yeah. But on the, it's, we just know there's a ship full of people. All we got to do, do is show the head. Of the <laughs> that's it, right? But all of a sudden, I see all these Klingons and I'm like, wow, I can't, that's so weird. Why would they, I can't believe they did that. Then, of course, a few minutes later, uh, they board the ship and fight and transport them all. And I realized, oh, that, that's why they did. Because <laughs> they were in the episode they, anyway. Yeah. But it was just, I guess I've just seen one too many episodes where <laughs> we have an entire ship represented by one guy's head. <laughs> yeah. screen. Ever wondered, like, you know, when you see Ricard, you know, and you, when he's talking to somebody on the view screen and, you know, you only see a head. You, they don't often show, like, the, sometimes I do, do they often show the other side? But is it just like a Picard's head or is it the whole bridge? And same with on the Defiant or something like that. I sometimes wonder about that, too. What the other person sees. I'm not sure. I, I remember... Well, I don't know. Best of both worlds. We see Locutus looking at a screen, don't we? Yes. Yeah, it's it's the bridge. Several people. You know? Yeah, but, doesn't happen that often. You're right. Well, that, you... That's pretty rare. You you are right about that. Uh, okay, we got to move on because uh, <laughs> one of those word oddities. Because of Adam Caesar. Jeez, <laughs> gonna run behind. Uh, <laughs> what's her score? Um, Tied up. One, no, I think it's one nothing. One oh, okay. Steve has one. Adam's got another. All right. Six degrees for Return to Grace. Adam. Yes. Uh, Sia Batan makes her second and final appearance as the all. Last time I asked, uh, I asked you about her role on Voyager, but she also turned up in Enterprise's fourth season as uh, the Orion girl Navarre. Orion females produce pheromones that leave males extremely susceptible to suggestion. But when Navarre attempts to seduce Tucker, she fails. How is he immune? Um, because he is um, in a relationship with a certain Vulcan science officer. I'll give you that one. It's, uh, <laughs> it was specifically from like his telepathic yeah. with DePaul. Yeah. Uh, do you remember Yay. what Torazial looked like as a green Orion? Um, I'm going to go yeah. check it out now, though. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Give me like two minutes to find it online. I'll, I'll let yeah. you know. Uh, Steve, Casey yeah. Biggs. Hey, oh, my God. You know what? We just talked about this whole episode. And we didn't even mention Damar. I guess it's because, I mean, at the time, do you remember seeing this episode and thinking, wow, look at that. Damar, that's going to be a big kid. What? Yeah, they, they're crafty. Yeah. You're yeah, so polite in this episode, too, to Kira. Yeah, none, none of us saw it coming that he was going to be such a significant character. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad he turned out to be. So that's why we didn't discuss him. But I'm sure it was, you know. It'll come up later. Yeah. So, Steve, Casey Biggs makes his first appearance as Damar, Ducat's right-hand man. In Enterprise's third season, he played the captain of an Illyrian vessel in the episode Damage. The Illyrians are not Archer's enemy, but he boards the Illyrian ship and steals something. What is it? Hmm. <clears throat> it's ringing a bell here. Um, it was totally. It was. It was unusual for Star Trek because it was. They really just stole it. That's yeah, I yeah, I yeah. I, I vaguely remember the notion. I, um, now that, I, but I just nothing, don't know if I remember. nothing going on between them. He just. They just boarded and took it. Um. Some kind of 
dilithium crystal or something. I don't know. Adam? <laughs> you took my answer. I was going to say dilithium. So Archer boards his ship to steal something. Archer and his crew, yeah. And um, the team. What did they steal? Um, what season was it? Oh, third season. This is the <laughs> this is uh you know the big terrorist uh, season storyline. This um, is indie season. They board a ship to steal intelligence. They steal the warp core. Oh, okay. Excuse me, the warp warp coil. Because he's the Enterprise is damaged and he's trying to get to, um, I don't know, one of the Zindi that's going to give him some information or something. Okay, this is after the Enterprise has been all beat to hell, right? Exactly, yes. Sons of Moog, Season 4, Episode 14, Production Number 487, Original Air Date, February 12th, 1996, Written by Ronald D. Moore, Directed by David Livingston, Music Composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Tony Todd as Kern, Robert Doqui as Nogra, Del Yount as Talikia, and Elliot Woods as Klingon Officer. Worf's brother Kern arrives unexpectedly and asks Worf to kill him. He explains that since Worf sided with the Federation against the Klingon Empire, Kern and his family are outcasts on the homeworld. Having lost everything, he can only regain his honor through the Mokhtarvor, a death of ritual which only Worf can perform. Worf reluctantly decides to carry out his brother's wishes and fatally stabs Kern. But Dax and Odo burst in just in time to transport Kern to the infirmary. Now Worf must accept his human ways and find a different way to help his brother regain, regain his honor. The sons of Morg reunited for one last time. Where have you been? I have tried to contact you for months. Well, I'm here. Now, but not for long. Soon there will be only one son of Morg. I came from October. What? Yes, brother. I want you to kill me. Sons of Moog. <laughs> Sounds like a curse. <laughs> a curse yeah. word. Oh, Sons of Moog. That's what it feels like. <laughs> You're going to start uh, using it now. Yeah. Son of a Moog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we open with uh, some Dax and Worf stuff, and I think if you ever, if you had any question about those two having chemistry, um, you know, whether or not they were going to end up together, the opening of this episode tells you that, yep, they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> His brother kind of um, blocked him there on that. I'd use a little more cruder expression, but, you know, there could be yeah, that's, children. No, that's, that's called a uh, Klingon block. <laughs> a Klingon block, mm-hmm. there you go, yeah. Because it looked like they are about to, you know, something's about to happen. Then, you know, as, as usual on Star Trek, the um, communication interrupts it. Mm-hmm. Um. And we got to see a chest, you know, of a Klingon that's really funky. It's kind of like yeah. when we saw Worf's back, that one next gen episode. That was funky, too. They're kind of funky oh, in the same way. Yeah. yeah. Very big ribs. Yeah, so let's start right there. Let's start with um, Worf <laughs> Make up. Kern. Well, Worf Kierling Kern. Now, <clears throat> actually, I never had a problem with that. It, it makes sense to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. They should have just been a little more discreet about it. They should have went off the station to take care of it. I mean, like, what was Worf going to do? Like, um, here's my brother's body. 
know, they could have went to yeah, some remote what was, planet. What was, the, what was the next step? You know, if it wasn't you know, that is a good point. I mean, like, well, we went through this ritual. I killed him. Now I'm gonna go take him wherever. I mean, you know, what, what was the next step if he wasn't caught? That's a good point. Well, he's Klingon. Maybe he would eat him. <laughs> could be. Eat his heart. That's how you get rid of the evidence. But you guys, you guys weren't. Um, they they shot it carefully. You know, we don't actually see like a knife going in. We don't see blood coming out. <laughs> right, right. Purple blood. We just see like, you know, the hand coming down, and then we see the knife already in the chest. That sort of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Does it? Did it shock you that that he killed him? No. No. You know, when the, we've seen enough Star Trek to this point that we you know there's the Klingon ways are you know, the different cultures, different ways. I mean, you know, this this could be akin to, like, um, you know, a samurai wanting to take life. You know, it's not yeah. it's not completely absurd. Um, the only thing I did kind of find, you know, um, even though Sisko yelled at him quite a bit, I would think in, if if were to be real world, it would have been like he would have been punished a little bit more for <laughs> his actions. Yeah, I guess they get away with it because they they do revive him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't press charges. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually like that that um, they get this out of the way at the beginning because they could have done the episodes that the whole episode was about Curran wanting Worf to kill him and then Worf kills him at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but instead, getting that out of the way at the very beginning changes the kind of the timbre of the entire episode to me it kind of saves it to be honest with you because if the whole thing had been about you know had been leading up to worth killing him i i i, I don't know it wouldn't um, worked. yeah <clears throat> do you guys have any tech issues with this do you guys watch you, what do you guys watch this on dvd or you know we haven't even mentioned we uh ds9 is on netflix now um finally but <laughs> you guys watch do you watch your dvds still though yeah. yeah, I watch. Yeah, I watch. That's what I'm watching. And and as soon as this episode started, I remembered I had this problem years ago. The last time I watched it, where the audio was like pretty out of sync. Or is hmm. that just on? No, you don't have that problem. I, I don't have that problem. I do not. No. Maybe no. just my disc was a bit weird or something. Anyway, I was able to compensate for it this time, but years ago I wasn't because I didn't have the right receiver. Well, I was watching the. I mean, speaking of, we'll go go. On talking about Kern, I kind of felt watching this, I didn't, I don't think I felt this way the first round a couple of times I saw it, but I kind of felt this way this last time I saw it. Um, I felt that Kern, you know, you feel sorry for him in the beginning, but by the end of the episode, I kind of feel like he's weak. You know, it's like, yeah, he, he, all of this, all of these things have happened to him, but he kind of, he really just kind of gave up and, um, you know, Worf had to make this drastic measure to save his life because he eventually would have found a way to die well i think he needed to take some advice from quark move on <laughs> yeah well you know either stop whining you know like a little yeah, isn't it? Moog. stop whining or um do something I mean, about it yeah i mean quark i mean not quark i mean you would think quark <laughs> would, be able to, would, would be able to find him a job somewhere in the federation where he could his skills would be useful but I don't, I don't know. I just, it seemed, this whole episode kind of seemed a little bit drastic to me. I mean, you know, that's clear. Did it feel more <laughs> like it was about Kern than, the next episode we're going to discuss, our last one for today, uh, Bar Association. It's, it's a rarity in that it really feels like it's more about 
rom than quark it feels more like it's like it's more about um not a principal character uh is this episode a warp episode or a current episode um i think i might say it's more of a current episode because we've seen warp deal with his duality and you know this is just another example of that and he you know i think i think kind of a first for this episode is like he's kind of more accepted that this Worf that is, is that <clears throat> this is the person that he is and he can't be something else he's he's yeah well that's that's actually the scene that i that i enjoy the most in this episode um and overall this episode is fine it has a couple of really good moments but overall i don't dislike it it's fine um, but I do like, I really do like the scene. It's a simple little scene where Worf, uh, he's talking to Dax kind of near the end. And he says, I no longer think like a Klingon. I cannot go back to the empire. Now we've, we've heard, you know, he's beat around that bush for years and we've heard, this is the first time that he's just, you know, flat out mm-hmm. said that. And, yeah. and having that realization kind of frees him up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To go all in with, you know, who federation. Is. Yeah, with who he well, is. It, who he's well, become. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with the federation. Just accepting who he is, you know. Well, that actually kind of leads me back to, um, it. It was it was Worf uh, pushing who he is that stood up to Galron and said, "No, I will not." Cardassia with you and then that is why Galron took away his family's name right and that's what has taken away Kern's honor and now when Kern gets to the station and he asks Worf to kill him he says you took away my honor only you can give it back you know by killing me and you know what I was kind of wondering did Worf take away his honor because what you were just saying Adam you know is that he's, he's kind of just given up I mean that feels more like like he's taken away his own honor. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, you know, and later on in this episode, we find out that um, Kern also voted against these things that Galron wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, and we talked about that. You know, I think Stephen brought it up the, when we were talking about that episode, Away of the Warrior, that we always that we thought that what um, happened to Worf was extreme. Mm-hmm. I still kind of do. It's like you know, but that's the Klingon way. But yeah, we find. I, so I don't know if they were trying to take take the burden off a of wharf there the character wharf in that instance where Kern talks about how he opposed Galron in the, in the high council and that kind of thing but how is that to me is how is that different from what wharf did and um it kind of i think that's maybe kind of what pinpointed me for me well like the difference Kern's there kinda, would be once Galron made the decision Kern went with him he said okay, okay. you know but wharf said at all costs no which to me it seems more honorable, which is exactly what Worf said in that episode, Why the Warrior. You know, he said, you know, what will you have left if I take everything from you? I'll still have my honor. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying, I think it's disingenuous for Kern to say that Worf stole his honor. I'd agree. Hmm. Yeah, he's a whiner. Yeah. <laughs> and I love Tony Todd, you know? I'm sure he had problems being such a whiner in this. You know, and... and may- <laughs> You know, what happens to Kern at the end of this episode? Let's discuss that now. But I think all these kind of reasons are the reasons that we do not see him again. This is it for Kern. We saw him a lot on Next Gen, but this is it. Um, so let's talk about the end. So, so Worf and Dax presumably concoct this plan to, instead of kill him, wipe his memory. So a few things here. One, um, nobody discusses it with Kern. 
<laughs> mm-hmm. uh, two, the doctor just does it. That's the craziest part to me. Mm-hmm. Um, three, and this I like, the wharf does not say goodbye. There's no goodbye scene. You know, when, I'm, when you're watching it, do you feel like, you know, the, the Dr. Bashir is explaining to Worf how this procedure is going to work. Kern is laying on the bed. Um, do, you, do you half expect Worf to say, okay, revive him now so I can say goodbye and then wipe his memory? No, I didn't expect that. No. Do you feel like it's missing something because there is no goodbye? No. 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 Okay, so Bashir wipes the memories permanently of this guy that had no say in the matter. No, yeah. I, I, I mean, I mean, I think I think it could have been. They don't they don't have a scene obviously to explain it, but I mean, I think if you told Bashir that this guy's going to find a way to kill himself one way or another, the only way you think we can save his life is by doing this. That, I think he would have gone along with it. Ron Moore, the writer, that was his his explanation was I. I think Worf went to him and explained the situation, and Bashir would have said, "Okay, I, I uh, grudgingly agree. <laughs> those are the Klingon beliefs. That's the Klingon belief system. I respect it. I'll do it." But that he just didn't want to write that scene. Um, still, it, it's just it's awfully quick. Yeah, it's awfully yeah. quick. Well, they could probably kind of cut out maybe some of those security <laughs> scenes or something like that. My, that might have been a more important. Um, I kind of like that. Seeing uh, it's, it's amusing Doran security outfit, it makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it it's supposed to be as funny as it is, but it makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also yeah. him coming. Well, I mean, the Cleon complaining about the feel. I mean, you know, it makes me itch. You know that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think he looks like way more of a badass in the, <laughs> the Majoran security outfit than the Klingon outfit. Because he's like going to bust out of it, is why. Well. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> You know, you picture him standing next to a bunch of Bajorans and just cowering over them. <laughs> it gets lost in the sea of Klingons. I don't know. Um, okay. What do we got for what this is about? You know, I, for me, it's... Um, well, I, I think that the very end, we were just talking about, so go another step here, and the very last lines, uh, Kern, or I don't even remember his new name, you know, newly named... Uh, uh, the the performer, <laughs> formerly known as Kern, yeah. um, says to Worf when he sees a fellow Klingon in the sick bay, "Are you part of my family?" And Worf says, "I have no family." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've always thought that line was 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 touching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's a lot of ways to answer that question, but he chose his words carefully. What do you guys have for what it's about? We got it. We're running a long time. I don't know, except that uh, Worf, due to due to his choices and a combination of his choices and his circumstances, he's in a place where he's kind of alone, you know, and he's and he. It's, I don't know. It's it's isolation, you know. He just he's he's forced himself into an isolated situation and he has to rebuild from it or something. I don't really know that's what it's about, but that's that's the feel I've got from this whole thing is this episode really shows how how in tough a spot he's in and how you know unique he is and how alone he is. But the difference is one now that he's accepted that, which is the difference between this episode I think and <clears throat> you know and that conflicted wharf that we've seen for years. Um, in this episode, I really feel like he accepts it, um, and that empowers him. And that frees him up to make decisions like, 
okay, I can let my brother go now because it will mm-hmm. be best for him. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. A lot of it's about um, choices and consequences. And, you know, a lot, I mean, we see a lot of the choices that Worf made prior to this episode led to consequences upon his brother. Um, and we see that Worf... He accepts a lot. He accepts his choices. He, you know, you know takes responsibilities for his choices. And what's, uh, what's interesting to me about about him accepting who he is, it's not you do not that scene with him and Dax, and this mm-hmm. is all what we're talking about. You know, like what it's about to me. That scene with him and Dax, it's he's not sitting there saying, "I no longer think like a Klingon. This is the worst thing ever. Shoot me and kill me now." You know, <laughs> he's not talking like that. You know, he's accepting accepting himself for who he is. I think maybe he's a little disappointed that he no longer thinks like a Klingon or that he didn't see that that, that guy was going to try to kill him. But he is comfortable with who he is. He's accepting it. He knows that this life will not work for his brother, you know? Mm-hmm. And for both of theirs' sake, he has to let his brother go and accept his brother for who he is, too. But I like that, you know, that's, that's where the power, that's how he gets empowered. Mm-hmm. It's not because he's defeated saying, I've failed to be a Klingon. He says, I've succeeded to be this person that I am that is unique and that is between um, the Federation and the Klingons. Very well, sir. Okay. <laughs> okay, we got to move on. <clears throat> <laughs> what is our current score? Is it one one or two one? I'm not sure. I've oh got one right. Okay, hang on. Uh Sayabaton from his tell okay. Adam got that one right. That was Adam's one. And then you both missed that one. So it must be one one. Uno one, uno. One. Yeah, one one. Steve. Yes. Okay, six degrees of for Sons of Moog. Uh, Del Yount plays Talikia, the Boslik freighter captain that tries to to um, smuggle some goods past Kern. In Enterprise's third season, he played the Viridian chemist B. Rot Ud. Archer and crew buy a chemical formula from B. Rot using something from the ship's galley as currency. What did they use? So they traded with him. They needed mm-hmm. a formula he had. They got something out of the ship's galley. Hmm. Well. They really should have named him B-Rad. <laughs> <laughs> I do not recall. Adam? Sugar. They wanted to trade sugar. I have no idea. No. Spices. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Including uh, black pepper, paprika, mustard seed, and cayenne. Okay, <laughs> Adam. So are, we're still one-to-one. Okay, Listen to this caref- this question carefully, Adam. All right. All right. D. Elliot Woods plays the Klingon officer that Kern must kill to protect his brother. In the Enterprise episode, Fortunate Son, he played a Nausicaan pirate held captive by the freighter his group had previously attacked. The freighter's captain wants to go after the Nausicaans, and Archer wants to stop him. Is this the most forgettable episode ever? Do you remember it at all? No, I do not. You are correct. You do not. 
And I'm not lying. I don't remember the episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a first season Enterprise episode that I must have seen twice, and I can read the entire description. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so forgettable. I don't remember it at all. <laughs> so we are moving on. What is our score before we leave, leave, leave? 2-1. 2-1. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Bar Association, Season 4, Episode 15, Production Number 488, Original Air Date, February 19th, 1996. Teleplay by Robert Hewitt Wolf and Iris Stephen Bear. Story by Barbara J. Lee and Jennifer A. Lee. Directed by LeVar Burton. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Max Gredanchik as Rom, Chase Masterson as Lita, Jason Marsden as Grimp, Emilio Borelli as Fruel, and Jeffrey Combs as Brent. <laughs> After suffering for weeks with an ear infection, Rom collapses in Quark's bar and is taken to the infirmary. Bashir is outraged that Quark refuses to give any employees sick leave <laughs> and casually suggests that Rom form a union. When Rom returns to, war- to work, Quark announces that he is cutting the salaries of his employees to compensate for declining profits. Angered at this mistreatment and inspired by Bashir's words, Rom decides to forego all Ferengi law and calls a secret meeting of Quark's waiters and Dabo girls and announces he wants to start a union. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to fight back in the only way we can. We're going to form a... A... A what? We're going to form... A union... You know, Steve would be really in trouble here. If you can't tell from his voice, if if he worked at Quirks, he wouldn't be off today. No, he'd be having to work. Yeah. <laughs> Steve is sick. Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, this episode really is a ROM episode, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't really had that before. I'm not sure that we're going to really have that again. <laughs> but it works. I like this episode. Um, this episode yeah. actually, this isn't, it has laugh out loud lines to me. There are several lines that make me laugh, and they're not even related to this storyline, but they just make me laugh. <laughs> the doctor says to O'Brien about his cyst or whatever it is, I'll get you some paint so you can paint a face on it. <laughs> when O'Brien's telling Rom about the, um, you know, about the great union man, his mm-hmm. ancestor O'Brien, and they're all fired up. And then he says, they fished his body out of the river. Makes <laughs> 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 me laugh. You know, when Cork's hologram fails, you know, when, when Odo comes in there and he thinks he's talking to Cork and then it fails and the, the, the glasses fall to the ground, that makes me laugh out loud. It, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just a lot of funny stuff in this one. Mm-hmm. Although, compared to most Frankie episodes, it's probably a little, dealing with slightly ser- more serious issues than usual. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about the, I mean, the, the Ferengi, you know, you know, you can deal with serious issues through comedy. I mean, even because it's, I mean, yeah, this is a serious kind of thing and it kind of pertains to a lot of things in our own society, but they make it funny at the same time. Well, a lot of good speeches in today's episodes. I mentioned, uh, um, in, um, the Ducat Cure episode that I thought he had a great speech. I think that uh, Rom's speeches, the first scene um, where he announces 
that they're going to form a union. You know, are you with me? It's very, it's pretty rousing. It's pretty good. And then later when uh, Brunt shows up with the Nausicans and Ram is still able to talk everyone into stick, staying with him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good stuff. <laughs> Throwing darts at each other's chest. Oh, the, the Nausicans. That's the games they play. <laughs> it's kind of weird. This, this is a pretty, um, a fairly forgettable appearance from Brunt. He just doesn't mm-hmm. have a lot to do. Yeah. I forget that he's even in this episode a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, My favorite scene is the scene between Worf and Odo and it's the B story. And, um, you know, when Worf brings that guy who stole from his quarters and, um, and Worf says things like this didn't happen on the Enterprise and it's almost like Odo has been holding on to this little chip <laughs> that's pretty good like, timing he says that mm-hmm. and literally the pad that Odo is looking at right there, he's <laughs> he has reference like he's been waiting for that the yeah. whole time yeah like, yeah he references a couple of next gen episodes Rascals and I forget the other one yeah but was, I love the look on Odo's face he's like oh really <laughs> <laughs> and of course that storyline by the end of this episode um Worf will move his quarters to the Defiant. They make it seem like that's like such a big deal, but like, okay, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it never seemed like a big deal. Um, Steve, what's your favorite scene in this episode? Um, you talking about things that made you laugh. I remember for me, though, I don't know why, um, when, uh, Quark, uh, sounds like you're talking about a union, and then he starts mocking them and laughing at them out loud. And so I don't know why his reaction is just so like shock, surprise when they start in a strike, like it's a big joke or something. It's just, it's just his face and stuff. I don't know what it is. Uh, what about um, Ram and Lita in much the same way that um, we just saw uh, Dax and Worf show yeah. some chemistry for one another? Ram and Lita. Are showing some chemistry. Yeah, they do, and they really never. They always allude to like Bashir and her, but we never really, except for what is it, the episode where they break up. We never really see them as a couple. They always just kind of hint at it, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to dinner with Bashir, or you know, I have dinner with Lily. You know, we don't really get to see much of those two together, other than yeah. Passing. It's funny. This episode is the first time my wife turned to me and said, "Man." Referring to Chase Masters and his Lita, man, she has some large boobs. <laughs> to which I responded, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> it's the Star yeah. Trek way. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And then, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but did Ram reference masturbation? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, yeah. Ferengi masturbation. I think this it's the only time the- they talk about self umox. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This must be the only time in Star Trek that that is referenced in any way. <laughs> well, they're able to get away with it, you know. Let's see. Except for maybe that scene near the end of Insurrection when that the joystick comes out and Riker's flying the. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah never mind. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, uh, all right. <laughs> so, what is this about? It's about Nausicans. Up. <laughs> standing course, outside of the FCA about- they crushed my eye socket I like that line that makes me laugh <laughs> is it about standing up for yourself yeah yeah 
Yeah, because it's it's yeah, it's more or less that I think too. Because uh, it's it's about it is a rom episode, and it's about them collectively, you know, getting their way. But really, it's about him becoming an individual, standing up for himself, and doing something more. You know, what makes it all work. Everything a man saying right now is that at the end of the episode, he does not retake his position at the bar. Yeah, yeah. Stands up for himself. He stands up for his friends, his co-workers. He, and we know that his character advances, and that's good drama. You know, when your character mm-hmm. changes, you need character development. We know his character changes because at the end of the episode, he is not content to remain at the bar because he wants more for himself. He wants more. He wants more for himself professionally wants more for himself personally he knows that he can that his relationship with his brother is always going to be limited as long as he's his employee well i also think rom comes to terms with the fact that he's not a good he's not he he's not going to ever fit into the ferengi mold of what um, his society wants him to be and you know and a lot of the ways we were talking about how Worf learned to accept himself um, in the last episode, I think when we see that in Rom in this episode, he accepts kind of who he is. This is—it's not like he's ever going to make a ton of profit being a mm-hmm. um, junior engineer, but it's what makes him happy. He accepts that this is this is who I am, and this is what, what yeah, I. Yeah, well, I, I remember that episode where uh, his son Nog is trying to convince Cisco to write him a letter of acceptance or whatever into the academy, Starfleet Academy. Um, and I, oh man, I still that scene when he says. That if his father had been born, as you know, as part of some other race, he would have been an extraordinary engineer. But instead, because Frankie's society only puts importance on this one thing, and that's the one thing that that Rom went toward. It was so heartbreaking to hear him say, "You know, he didn't want to end up like his father." Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and here finally we <sighs> see Rom starting to put value. On things other than profit, and you know, from from the pessimistic point of view, of course, if his society was different, um, he could have started decades earlier down the more appropriate path for who he is. Mm-hmm. But the optimistic viewpoint is that at least it happened now, because obviously, for most Ferengi, it doesn't. Well, so what was it? Little Green Men. What was the line in Little Green Men? He's like, "I've always been smart. I just lack self confidence." Is that mm-hmm. the line? Yeah. yeah, and he had a similar yeah. line. You know, this one, that great scene between him and um, Cork, I think in a hallway, one of them pushes the other one up against the, the wall. And he says, you know, what you were trying, Rom says to Cork, what you were trying to do was to make yourself feel better or look better or something, you know. You were holding me back. I'm not dumb, you know. He says it pretty emphatically here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's really saying that this whole episode. So I'm curious why... Was he building to this point the whole time? It couldn't have just been Cork lowering their wages by a third to trigger this now. Um. Well, they don't, I mean, I don't recall seeing any, anything to indicate like something like this was going to happen. Could be wrong there. I mean, but I mean, we see Rom sit standing up for himself more and more. So maybe in a way that it is kind of has led to this, you know, we see Rom stand up to Quark about, um, about his son, you know, this emphatic that he was going to go to Starfleet, um, 
So we have seen Rom stand up for himself, but mm-hmm. not to this degree yet. So I think it's kind of built to this episode. Well, I think we covered what it's about. Anybody else got anything? I don't think so, no. Steve, would you like to talk for 10 minutes? See if it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Six Degrees for Bar Association. Uh, so what are we at? Adam's two, Steve's one? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, yep. All right. Adam. Yes. Chase Masterson returns as Lita, Dabo Girl Extraordinaire. She played Lita in DS9 seasons three through seven. But in one of those seasons, she only appeared once. Which season was that? Season three? That is not correct. She appeared Ooh. twice in season three, if I'm not mistaken. Steve? Hmm. Okay. How about five? No. It's this one, season four. <laughs> okay. This Today's uh, episode is for only four. All right. Still 2-1. Steve, this is your chance to tie it up. All right. Armin Shimmerman plays the role of the Quark Holograms at Quark's Bar, but Shimmerman is best known for playing which character on Deep Space Nine? <laughs> what? Really? Quark? What? Quark. What? That is correct. Quark. <laughs> it's all tied all right. up. It's all tied up. Uh. <laughs> I gave Adam a... You gave me a decent one. one or, yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay. So... That is episode 23, folks. Awesome, awesome. And we hope Steve feels better and enjoys his time at the ballgame tomorrow night. Steve is going to the World Series tomorrow. Yes, yes. And he went to the playoffs, uh, what, yesterday or day before Friday, yesterday? Friday. Friday, mm-hmm. sorry. And I want to wish both of my friends, they've both recently here had a birthday. Both the Embrys. Or, well, excuse me. Adam Caesar and Stephen Embry, and I believe Adam Embry has one coming up. So just happy birthday to everybody except me. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. You're the you're the young one. We know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, uh, Steve Rogers, thanks again for sending in that question. Anybody else has any questions? Send them on in. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, that's at uh, Trek Companion. Now that I got my the new iPhone uh, iOS, it's Twitter's integrated, so I'm going to try to Twitter tweet more. Uh, let's see, you can follow us, uh, friend us on Facebook, uh, Facebook.com/slash Trek Companion. Send us an email, Trek Companion at Gmail.com. Is that everything? Did I miss something? I think we're good. All right, we will catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Have a good yeah. couple weeks. Bye. Bye.